Hey everybody, I'm Fran Frischella and welcome to another podcast on World of Basketball, the podcast that uh, shrinks the basketball globe for you. Uh, we bring you special guests from every corner of the world. Uh, we're trying our best to hit as many different places as possible. And this week we have a guy who is certainly halfway around the world, but he's no stranger to American basketball. The great Jimmer Fredette, BYU star, NBA lottery pick, and now playing in Shanghai in the Chinese Basketball Association. We have a great talk with Jimmer, who took college basketball by storm. He tells you how he became the player he uh, he is today, the work he put in growing up in Glens Falls, New York, uh, going to BYU, averaging about seven points a game as a, as a freshman before becoming a college superstar and uh, it's a great it's a great journey, needless to say. And he is now one of the big names in the Chinese Basketball Association. And if you're not familiar with the Chinese Basketball Association, let me put it this way. There's over a billion people in China. There are more basketball fans in that country than there are people in the United States. There's estimates of over 400 to close to 500 million people who follow basketball in China. And Jimmer tells you how special it is for him to uh, to be playing in Shanghai. Uh, if you've uh, if you've missed our uh, uh, March Madness special, go back and listen. And by the way, speaking of listening, World of Basketball is part of the Sirius XM podcast network. So check out the Sirius XM app, uh, download it on your uh, on your smartphone, and go back and listen to some great great episodes. Jimmer is episode number 43, and uh, when you go back and look, you'll see there's a lot of fascinating uh, guests that we've already had. Also, uh, rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. It allows us to uh, get your thoughts on what we're doing. And again, we're trying to make it entertaining for you, get you to learn a little bit about basketball from around the globe. And today we bring you Jimmer Ferdet uh, from China. Jimmer Ferdet, former BYU star, joins us now. I'm excited about this guy, partly because you'll know who he is right away, um, partly because he's a great human being, and partly because he's like on the other side of the world. And to get him <laughs> on, a, on a podcast is not easy. But Jimmer Ferdet is our special guest uh, today. We're taping this. It's 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 the it's the week of the Mar of March Madness. You may hear it in a couple of weeks, but uh, Jimmer, it's always a pleasure to see you and to catch up. Yeah. With you. I'm glad right now we have an internet connection that's working. So welcome to World of Basketball. Yes. Thanks, Fran. I appreciate that. Um, uh, when your producer uh, Instagram messaged me online, I get a lot of, uh, you know, podcast requests. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then Chrisos, he told me uh, that Fran, you were <laughs> going to be the host. And I immediately uh, responded back to him, told him I would love to be able to sp speak with you. You've been so great with me and my family throughout the years. So I'm yeah. happy to be on with a, with a good internet connection so far. And, so far. Uh, and hopefully it'll be great. We'll hope for the best, but uh, it is great having you on. We have, we have New York connections, although you were upstate New York, we have Mount yeah. West connections because we, we missed each other, but I was, I'm the former coach of the Lobos. I know they love you in Albuquerque, not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for and, sure. Uh, for sure. We have that TVT connection as well, which we've had so much. Exactly. Fun. So, sure. Hey, you know, so let's, uh, let's dive in. Um, you're in a unique part of the world. We'll cover all your great accolades and accomplishments 
in a few minutes, but um, just tell people, like, what's the most surprising thing they would learn about playing professional basketball in China? Uh, yeah, I mean, great question. There's a lot of things that can be surprising. Obviously, it's a culture shock right away um, coming over here. Um, things are just run differently than in the U.S. Um, you know, um, there's there's not as much uh, um, emphasis on treatment and, you know, different things of, uh, you know, rest. Those those types of things are not, you know, necessarily in the forefront of their mind over here. It's something you have to get used to. Um, you know, everyone is is very uh, is, you know, follows orders over here very, very well. Um, you know, they fall in line, they listen to their elders, like the, the players listen to the coaching staff, you know, almost to a fault sometimes. Um, whereas in America, you get a lot more, you know, leeway, people talk back a little bit more There's a little more discussion here. It's like you do it or you don't. And, um, you know, it's a it's a very, very big how physical it is was something that was surprising to me. They, they basically let you let the, let the Chinese guys kind of play football with you in, in the game, trying to get the basketball. They can grab you. They can hold you. They can push you. You know, they try to get under your skin. They have a couple of guys that are designated to guard you on every night, um, you know, to try to get under your skin and, and uh, you know, try to not let you get the ball. And uh, so I was uh, surprised with how physical it was. You know, uh, when I saw you the night, the night I saw you play in 2017, they held you to 52 that night. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I do remember that. But but also, yeah. Um, yeah, not just the league itself, but but basketball. Like I, someone once told me there's more basketball fans in China than there are people in the United States because of the population. Yep. And just talk about yep. how how and why do you think basketball is I, I'm, I'm curious now that you've been uh, at parts, you've probably been there parts of five years or six years now. Why yep. do you think basketball is so popular in, in China? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it all started, honestly, with, with Yao. I think that was the, the where it really started to become popular, started to become mainstream. Um, you know, he was such an amazing player and he was, you know, a star in the NBA for a really good team. And, um, you know, so there's a, a ma- there was a massive amount of Houston Rockets fans over here. And, um, you know, and then they started to turn into just NBA fans in general. And then, and then you started to see kids, um, you know, start playing on the street and, um, you know, the, the, the government put a lot of money into the basketball, um, into facilities, into, you know, training to try to get the, you know, their national team better and the kids better. And, and now, you know, anywhere you go in China, there's a, there's a basketball game going on, um, outside kids are playing, uh, whether it's in school, whether it's in the city, you know, the parks, they're all full all the time. They're just playing and, and having fun. Um, so I think it all started with Yao. And then from there, I mean, it just kind of, you know, exploded and it's, it's popularity has got, has grown uh, more and more ever since. Uh, the one thing I noticed through the years with the national team is like, you'll, you'll see the guys like Yao come along, Wang Juju, big guys, yeah. guard play for some strange reason. I've always wondered why guard play has never been a strength of like the Chinese, yeah. play, the Chinese national team. Have you thought about that at all? Is there any way of training that's different than the way say you grew up in upstate New York? Yeah, no, for sure. I've thought about it. I've talked about it with a lot of Chinese <laughs> guys here. Um, yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing, honestly, is that um, from a young age, they kind of have the a system where when they're 9, 10, 11 years old, they're put into these like basketball academy type things. Um, and from there, they choose like the best players and they keep them in these 
academies and then they make sure that they they work out like two three times a day and they're just drilling them they're just drilling them basketball handle bell handling drills you know full court one-on-one drills you know defensive drills they're doing all of these young age two or three times a day and they'll go for six days a week so honestly what i think happens is a lot of these kids get burned out and they don't reach their full potential at a young age um you know whereas in america you know, we just pick up a ball and go play because we love it. You know, I always, and, uh, you know, you could learn a lot that way. You're not, no, you're not doing drills. You're just playing basketball, you're figuring things out against bigger, stronger competition. Um, they're very structured in there. So a lot of times you can see them do drills really, really well. And then you, they get into a game and they kind of are like, oh, I don't, I haven't seen this before. You know, what do I do? They're very structured in that way. Um, I always equate American basketball to kind of like um, South American soccer. Soccer, they just go out and play, you know what I mean, where they fun. And that's why they're so good at dribbling the ball. They're, they're, they're so creative because that they just throw the ball out there and go. Same with the U.S., whereas in China, it's very, very structured and they don't necessarily get that, um, you know, figure it out on them by themselves type of mentality. But it's kind of changing a little bit, which is good to see. You know, when I was there in 2017, my my basketball, um, oh gosh, he, and I know he's close to Yao, the interpreter. I, you'd probably seen him a thousand times, but he was my interpreter and my driver. And we went past the park in Be- Beijing. Um, he was the interpreter for the national team. That's what he was. That's how I got to know him. But we were in, we were we were going by a, a park, like not like maybe maybe a mile from Tiananmen Square, and there were a lot of kids playing out there. I said. If the next Allen Iverson is in that park, will the Chinese Basketball Federation find out about him? And he said, not really, because once we have our academies, it's hard to like, here's a, here's kids playing in a park that have this love of the game you talked about. Like you growing up in Albany, Albany's a really underrated area. You, your older brother, all those guys you, you know, banked heads with being outside in the summertime. But that's not how like, I guess you're saying that's not how it is. Yeah, it's not. I mean, um, but I will say it's starting to get a little bit better. The reason being is because um, the the college basketball, which is called the CUBA here in China, is actually getting a little bit bigger. And that's I think that's really good because these kids are not going to these these uh, facilities. They're staying home. They're working themselves. And then they're going to a college, whether it's in the U.S. They've had a couple of kids from the U.S. come over and play back here in the, in the, in China. But then also the kids that are playing in the CBA, they're several kids that have been drafted into the CBA, they're actually good players. And you can kind of tell, you're like, oh, this kid looks a little bit different. He doesn't have quite the, the, the same type of structure. You know, they're, they're a little bit more Americanized. They speak English really well. You know, you can just kind of tell by their demeanor that it's a little bit different. So if it keeps going that way, the parents are not sending them to these schools anymore. They're just kind of doing their own thing. You may see a little bit of a shift where it's like, okay, you may find a kid from a park that's really good because he went to a, he was able to go to a college, a high school, a normal high school, a college, and then move up. So we'll see. That's cool. That's really cool. I, I was fascinated by that, and uh, yeah, that's good to see. All right, um, couple, I'll, I'll, you know, Glens Falls. Uh, I know, and I said this in all sincerity. Albany basketball through the years has been very underrated. Some really good. Yeah, no, it's very good. It, you know, tough kids. You know. I don't know yep. Anthony Weish and those guys. That's your era before you, but a lot of so good before, but yeah, yeah. Okay, you go to BYU and like your first year, you averaged seven points a game. Uh, your next year, you had you know you went into double figures. You obviously got better. 
I mean, how did that evolve? By the time you were a junior and senior, and I'm not just blowing smoke, you were a phenomenon in college basketball. But I'm, I'm more interested, because I've watched you for so long, in the process of how somebody like you becomes the player you did. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, um, you know, a lot of hard work. Um, a lot of determination, obviously, but that's something that, that everyone does. You know what I mean? You're going to hear every college coach you have come on here. You're going to see the guy's going to say, Oh, he's the hardest worker. He's the, you know, he's a gym rat. He's in the gym 24 seven. You know, you're going to hear all these things, you know, obviously, you know, I, I practiced very hard and, 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 uh, you know, had a, had a drive to be able to win. But I think the thing that differentiated me honestly was mindset. Um, and I think that's what you see in a lot of you know, great players at whatever level it is. I believed that I was the best player on the court. And I believed that, uh, you know, I had a goal of, of reaching the NBA and helping our team, you know, reach, you know, heights that BYU hadn't reached before. Um, and, you know, I thought about it every day. Um, I did a lot of visualization of seeing myself succeed, seeing myself making shots, um, seeing our team move forward in, in the tournament. Um, I think visualization is a really powerful thing. And if you, if you, you know, put that together with um, hard work and determination, obviously I, you know, I'd be in, in the gym in the mornings before practice, you know, working, working on my, working on my game. Um, a lot of times it was just by myself, not even a coach around, just, just doing things that I wanted to do. And then during that time, I'd visualize myself making the shot against San Diego state or playing against New Mexico in the pit. And, uh, you know, succeeding um, and during these during these workouts. And I think that type of mindset really um, distinguishes people, the good from the great. And in, in my opinion, just because they truly believe that it's going to happen. Where did you spend your like your your summer after your freshman and sophomore years? Did you spend it in Provo or were you home in Albany? I was uh, kind of a mix. I'd stay there for I'd go back home um, uh, for the summer semester and the spring semester. I'd stay there, go to school, work out, um, do all that stuff. So I'd usually get home for about two months and I'd be in Provo for about two months. Um, and when I was back in, in, in New York, you know, I was going for sure working on things I wanted to work on. And my brother and my dad would be there, you know, with me just, uh, you know, grinding it out, having fun and and uh, really getting prepared to come back in the best shape I could possibly be in. Yeah. So, so you're one of like, you're, like you said, a thousand kids do that in the spring and summer, you know, like college basketball, you aren't the only guy doing that as you, as you, I'm just so curious about process. Like as you get better, do you sense it? Like and when I say, do you sense it? Do you come back and start playing against your teammates at BYU or summer, you know, summer league in, in Albany or playing with college guys and go, holy mackerel, I'm kicking this guy's butt or I am getting like, can you feel yourself almost becoming invincible? Because that's how you were your last two years. Yeah. Yeah, you can kind of uh, you feel that there's definitely something a little bit different, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the teammates start to see it, too. You know, it's not just necessarily you it's the teammates as a coaching staff they're kind of like okay he's kind of taken over a little bit and because of that some of your teammates will start deferring you know what I mean and be like okay here you go this is this is the big shot big play I'm going to give you the ball you know go make a play for us even in even in pickup you know what I mean you want to win they want to win the game like all right you know I'm running to get the ball you know what I'm saying saying all right let's let's get this win we need we need one we need one basket I'll, I'm gonna do that for us so um you kind of see that type of a shift um as you kind of 
search your will, but it's competitive. I mean, you have to go out there and like I said, and search your will. You got to be, Hey, you know, I want this. You know what I mean? Not everybody does. And you say, I want this. This is, this is my opportunity. I'm going to show you guys. If you, you know, follow my lead, we're going to win a lot of games. Um, so you have to, uh, you know, you have to have that type of a mindset, you know, getting better, um, every single day. And, uh, you know, in whether it's a workout or a, a pickup game or, you know, a plan that's, front of 23,000 people, you know, you got to have that same mindset. If you do, your teammates will follow you. What's your best in the zone moment of your college career that you remember saying like, Oh, I can't believe this. Like, I, I, it doesn't matter where I launch from. It's going in. Yeah. I think my, I, my biggest one, my first one that I could remember where it was just like, like everything was happening was my junior year actually against uh, Arizona. Um, we went and played Arizona at their place. And they had a bunch of pros. They had Derek Williams and Kyle Fogg. And I mean, they had a bunch of guys that were really good basketball players. And they were, you know, ranked in the top 10. And we were kind of coming in as underdogs, you know, at the McHale Center. People don't win very often. And we came in and we beat them by 20 points. And, uh, you know, I had four, I had 49 points that game. I think I had nine or 10, nine or 10 threes. And, uh, and it just was, it felt different. You know what I mean? Like, I, and at that moment, I knew it was shifting. I knew at that moment, I was like, okay. I'm going to be on a national radar right now. Our team is going to be on the national radar. And, um, you know, from there I had, um, you know, some more games that felt good, but that game was just like, I just threw it up and it was going in. didn't matter where it was from, you know, and it was uh, kind of one of those special moments. So when that starts happening, you then obviously become one of the more hated players in the country on the road, road, especially in conference play. Did you embrace that? I know if you're, if you're the competitor, I know you are, that that had to be something that was a good feeling, right? Oh, I loved it. I loved (laughs) it. It's so much fun playing in front of um, the, I like playing, honestly, I like playing on the road better than I like playing at home. Um, You know, I didn't feel the pressure, you know, that, that type of way. Like I enjoyed, I thrived in those moments. I would, you know, before the games, there would always be the suit because when we played BYU, they would, they would always get there early. The student section would get there early. They'd be right behind or right next to the basket. And I would literally just stand right next to them and shoot on purpose to try to just hear everything that they would say to me before the game. And they would just yell the craziest stuff. You know what I mean? And in San Diego State, New Mexico, you know, Snake is down there in New Mexico. Man, Snake, Snake, how was Snake to you? Uh, Snake was actually really good to me. He actually enjoyed we had a good, good, man. good relationship. He is a good man. He, he traveled to Provo to watch us watch him play. Actually, he was that type of a fan. And but um, yeah, they would just sit there and yell at me, and I just listened to it all and just kind of smile as I was shooting and and get myself prepared and you know get my mindset right for those games. I, I got to tell people who are listening, Snake was a guy in the pit who would take his shirt off. He was ball tattoos everywhere, but he was a legend at the pit, and he was a legend especially with opposing team so uh oh yeah he he was awesome yeah such a great such a great fan he led those led the student section every every game (laughs) i love it that's cool you bring you're bringing back some memories i gotta tell you i hated playing byu because (laughs) yeah and i think did you were you with both coach cleveland and coach rose or just coach rose i can't remember just coach rose just coach rose coach rose was the assistant coach cleveland and i were very close right and so was well our, our staffs were really close but we hated byu because they were BYU was the dirtiest team in the league. They were all 23, <laughs> 24 year old guys coming back from missions. You know, they've already started their families. 
they would they would cheat they would cheap shot you after the game. They shake your hand. They say, "Coach, man, love playing against you guys. Man, you guys play so hard." I'm like, "Get out of here!" Yeah, you know? it's so, so we, funny. We had great rivalries with them. I I, I enjoyed that. Um, you were ahead of your time. Like, do you ever? Uh, you know, I know I know you're NBA. You, listen, you're a lottery you know, first round pick, a high pick. You were in the league for a while. Do you ever? You have to think back and watch this league now and say, "I might have been. I might have been a, like a few years early, right?" Oh, 100 percent. I definitely was. I, you know, I, I definitely was shooting from long distance ranges, you know, before it was definitely cool. You know what I mean? Like and even my coaching staff would be like, what are you shooting? You know what I mean? But Coach Rose saw, saw in me, he's like, hey, he's making it. You know what I mean? He's making it and it's pulling the defense out. Um, it's creating so much space for our team. And he was like, he like I give him a lot of credit because he could have easily nipped it in the bud if he wanted to right away. Um, but he didn't because he saw the 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 actual um, you know the 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 greatness that it brought to our team, um, you know. So I, I I appreciate that. And and um, but nowadays that's that's commonplace. You know what I mean? It's when I came into the league, it was I you know he's a tweener. He's not a one. He's not a two. Um, what position does he play? Who's who's he going to guard on defense? And now it's just interchangeable. It doesn't matter. It's almost better if you play both both positions. Whereas before it's like oh you have to play one or the other. And it's a pretty crazy shift for only 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Like it's not that far away, but, um, but it's still a completely different shift um, from when I came into the league. So I think if I had been in college now and, and got drafted now, it probably would have been a little bit different of a story for a team, uh, you know, giving me a little bit more of a chance. Well, it's funny. We'll, we'll, we'll hit that um, because obviously it also depends on which team drafts you and who values what you do. But yeah. going back to BYU, do you think, I mean, Coach Rose might have been a genius in the sense that your long range behind, way behind the arc shooting, could you tell that opened up the spacing for your team as far as they've got to guard you further out? So now all of a sudden your your, your teammates are getting downhill easier? Yeah, 100%. I mean, they were they were picking me up at half court you know, just making sure that I wasn't, you know, getting my shot off. And it allowed us to set higher ball screens, um, you know, kind of like the Golden State Warriors type deal where they would set the ball screen at half court and just let Steph navigate. And um, and it creates so much spacing. It puts so much pressure on the defensive big. They're not going to hedge all the way out there. They're not going to usually double team all the way out there, um, you know, and it opens up a lot of lanes to drive the basketball. And that's something that, you know, people necessarily – you know, if they haven't watched me play a lot that I, you know, I enjoy getting downhill and get to the, getting to the basket, finishing in the lane, floating, um, using my floater, you know, getting to the basket. So it's not, you know, just a pull up three um, that I have. And it creates a lot of space for myself to be able to get into the lane. Um, and then when guys collapse, we had a bunch of shooters on our team that can knock down shots. Um, and we played unselfish basketball, but we spread people out, you know, really, really well. And we were good in transition. So it was, it was tough to guard us for sure. You know, Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert set that screen now. Rudy sets it way out at midcourt, almost at midcourt. They're always going under Joe. And as soon as they go under Joe, Rudy's turned around and rescreening. And now Joe's got even – because he's the slowest guy in the league. But uh, I say that jokingly because he's he's as good at pick and roll as anybody. But if they pick he's amazing, up, yeah. Yeah, if they pick you up at midcourt and they go under way out there, they you're, I, I assume you could just flip the screen and – have moved more room to navigate. You have a lot of, yeah. I mean, you have a lot of options. You have a lot of options. I mean, there's sometimes where, you know, they're so afraid that they follow me. They, a lot of times they don't go under those screens up there still. 
um, just because they're, they're, they're afraid. And then, uh, then it's a complete downhill, um, uh, you know, being able to pull up wherever I want, you know, from beyond the three or, you know, before I can snake it kind of like Joe Ingles does. He does a lot of snaking back, um, you know, to the back, to the top of the key, you know, creating pre- that pressure on the, the defender. Um, you know, so, I mean, there's a lot of options. It just gives you so much more space. Given that you, you've seen the league change when you look back, cause I know what, from what I know of you, Jimmy, you're a thoughtful guy. Uh, if you had to do it differently when you came into the league, what did you, what have you learned that when you do think back, say, man, if I would have now team is a, is a logical thing. It depends on the team you go to, but are there things you would have done differently to navigate your career, but just based on what you've learned about either yourself or the game of basketball or going to a team? Cause we know 30 teams and, and five to 10 of them are dysfunctional. It's yeah. Yeah. It is. It's that way. But have, did you ever have you ever thought about like if you know in retrospect things you could have done to help yourself? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I wasn't a perfect basketball player, and um, I had uh, you know there was a lot of things that I needed to continue to work on. I think for me, the biggest thing was I wish I would have just um, you know just been me out there. Um, I think there was a lot of times where um, you know I was trying to fit into a system. You know what I mean? I, fit into what the coach wanted me to do. Um, there was a lot of times where I was either playing, you know, point guard or shooting guard, you know, he want, uh, there was a lot of things he wanted me to do differently than necessarily I was, you know, comfortable with. There were some times where they wanted me to just run the team, not be as aggressive offensively. Um, and then sometimes where they wanted me to come off uh, down screen, shoot, you know, catch and shoot those types of things. I wish I would have just, you know, been me, you know, I'm a guy that gets the ball, gets down transition, just pulls up from anywhere, is aggressive on every possession. Um, you know what I mean? And I think that I lost a little bit of that once I got into the league, trying to fit into a system so that I could stay on the floor, quite frankly. And I was trying to uh, stay on the floor as long as I could. So I was trying to listen to the coach as much as I could to, to gain some more minutes. And I think that in retrospect, if I would have just been me, I would have gained those minutes um, anyway. And, um, you know, I say, so I think that's one of the biggest things for me. I, you know, it's funny. I say this all the time to young coaches, like somebody allowed Pete Maravich to be Pete Maravich. Steph Curry is allowed to be Steph Curry. You know, Steve, uh, Clay Thompson, like it, a lot of the time, it, a lot of it is environment. Like the way, the way you've played in your prime is that's why I said there's, there's coaches in this league. Now, if you were coming into the league with your, with the talent you had would say, just let Jimmer be Jimmer, just, you know, let him do his thing. Yeah. We can get buckets. Yeah, I think, yeah, for me, I mean, um, I had a coach. Like, the thing was, is that when I got drafted to uh, Sacramento, um, it was one of the places that I wanted to go. And the main reason was because of uh, Paul Westfall. And Paul Westfall, he was my coach that drafted me. And uh, he saw a lot of him and me. He wanted me to go out there and just be be me. Like, like I remember in training camp, um, you know, I'd come down and, and I'd shoot one of my, my long distance threes. And a couple of my teammates would be like, Hey, that's not a good shot. And coach would be like, no, this is what he does. We're going to let him do this. We're going to let him shoot this ball. And that gave me a lot of confidence in that in the beginning of the season. Um, unfortunately, two weeks into the season, he got fired. Um, and, and as that happened, um, you know, everything changed for me, everything changed for our team. A uh, new coach came in that didn't necessarily see the same way as Coach Westfall did, um, which didn't bode, didn't bode well for me and some other guys on the team. And uh, then it kind of it changes. But that's what the NBA is. It's a business. 
Um, you know, unfortunately, um, it happens to, you know, a lot of guys and then your situations changes in a heartbeat and then you got to try to figure it out. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Cause as a coach, you kind of, especially early on, you're as a coach, you're a cookie cutter coach. And then you realize like there's, there's a lot of different ways to use your talent. You know, Don Nelson did it with, with before your time, Don Nelson do it, did it with Chris Mullen and Tim Hardaway and he was unconventional and it, different ways to do it. Um, one thing we love on this podcast is we've had a number of people, Kyle Hines being one, um, Rick Patino being another who have talked about the crazy Panathinaikos, Olympiacos rivalry. <laughs> I just, we have to get your impression. Now you're used to BYU in Utah. Tell me, tell me about Panathinaikos and Olympiacos. You spent the, I think a season, right? Uh, was one year. What is that rivalry like, first of all? What, what's your impression of it? Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. Um, it's it's literally, for them, it's literally life or death. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Um, the, the people live and die by it. I mean, when you get into a taxi or you get into a restaurant or you get into anything, the waiter's always like, uh, Pano or, you know, are you Pau or, or are you Olympiacos? You know what I mean? Like, Bill, that's the first, that's the first question they'll ask you. Um, and, you know, and depending on the answer, you'll get good service or not. And, uh, you know, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's the first event that I've been to where, um, you know, when you walk onto the court, they have this, they have two screens around the court, um, you know, kind of like these net mesh screens around the court because, they don't want anybody throwing stuff on the court at the players. You know, they'll throw, you know, bottles or quarters or whatever like that onto the court uh, against the other players. There's like these, you know, these protective things that are, that are on the bench to make sure that they don't get hit. Um, you know, they're, they light flares in the middle of the game. Um, you know, our, our fans, when we were playing them, they lit about 50 or 60 flares. So there's a bunch of smoke in the arena it was so bad that they actually suspended all of our fans for the next game. They couldn't come to the, to the next game because EuroLeague said, you guys can't light flares in the middle of games. I mean, they said it used to be worse, but they don't allow Olympiacos fans into the Panathinaikos games and they don't let Panathinaikos fans into Olympiacos games. It's to that level where if something happened, they could be riots, there could be fights. Like it's uh, it's pretty, pretty crazy. It's by far one of the, the craziest uh, rivalries I've ever been a part of. Um, and yeah. like I said, it's it's life and death for them. Yeah, exactly. Did you, you did, did you fear for your safety at all when you played or? Um, no, I didn't fear for the safety. I mean, uh, you know, when I was, uh, you know, I don't think I took anything too seriously. I mean, and there were definitely some 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 stuff on Instagram where you get a little bit of you know, some threats here and there, um, from fans and everything, but, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily take it too seriously. Um, you know, so everything was usually, you know, pretty fine, but, uh, you know, I remember we were playing against Olympiacos and, uh, our owner came into the game. And as soon as our owner came into the game, there was about 20 people from Olympiacos that were waiting for him. And he starts walking in, um, you know, court side to sit next to us with about 15 security guards that are around him. And all of a sudden these like 20 Olympiacos fans like run onto the court and like we're going over to try to get to our owner. So 
I'm sitting there dribbling the basketball on my side of the court, watching these fans like literally run right past me, trying to go get to our owner. And there's like a pushing match, you know, to try to get to them. They're yelling in Greek and everything. And I'm just sitting there watching this, like I'm about to play a basketball game. What is going on here? What are, what is, what is all these people just, you know, running after our owner, they had to break them up. And finally they got all these people off the court and were able to start the game. But I mean, it's just, it's rowdy. That's crazy. All right, a couple more questions. We can't thank you enough. I know you got to get going. You got to go take care of some medical business. Um, you, I, I'm guessing being in being in China with the love of the game over there. I, I noticed that you're involved with some like business opportunities. I, you still doing the shoe stuff? Something else has just popped up, right? That I read on the internet. Yeah, I'm with a company called uh, called Rigorer, and uh, which is Dwinja in Chinese. That's what they, that's how you pronounce it. Um, they're an all basketball brand over here, kind of new, um, but they're really, really good. I mean, they're, they're kind of all over Asia. Um, they do, they do a lot of, uh, of shoes and clothing. They sponsor actually the CUBA, the, the Chinese basketball, uh, the, uh, the, the college basketball out here, they're getting bigger and bigger. Um, and, uh, they have a great shoe, a great product. They've been awesome to me. Um, you know, being able to, you know, provide everything that I needed. Um, so it was a great opportunity for me to, to, to be a part of a, a, an up and coming brand. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's been a lot of fun and the product is really good. Hey, do I, am I wrong? Are you doing, have you done like McDonald's commercials and things like that? I've heard, I've heard that. Have you, do you get the, given who you are over there, given how much they love who, do you do a lot of those type of things? Yeah, I've done some stuff. I haven't done anything specifically with McDonald's, but I've done stuff with like Monster, Monster Energy Drink. Um, you know, I've done some with, um, you know, some different, um, some different companies out here. I've had several endorsements, um, which has been really, really awesome. I mean, the, the market out here is so big and, and me being in Shanghai helps. Obviously, it's one of the biggest cities in China, the most international city. Um, so because of that, there's being in New York City or LA and in the US where you're just going to get a lot more eyeballs, um, you know, on these things. So I've had a lot of commercials that have played um, on Chinese TV, which is kind of fun. You just kind of all of a sudden see my face pop up out of nowhere and, and everyone's like, who is this guy? Um, you know, so it's, it's pretty fun to see. Um, and, uh, you know, with the Chinese subtitle or Chinese, you know, dubbed in the background. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of sitting there smiling, dribbling with basketball most of the time. So, uh, it's, it's been a cool and unique opportunity, and I've been grateful to be able to have some great sponsorships. Do you anticipate when you're finally done with your career in China, you come back that because of those sponsorships and who you are over there, that you'll maintain kind of a relationship with some of the people? I'm talking about business opportunities. Yeah, Is yeah that I would love to. I would love yeah. to, you know, for me, I'm a networker. I'm a guy that, um, you know, obviously will be uh, a businessman after, after playing basketball and investor entrepreneur. Um, you know, I really enjoy doing that. So I've started to create those relationships now um, to make sure that, um, you know, when I'm done, I'll be able to transition easily. And uh, you know, it's, there's a lot, obviously opportunity over here in China, um, you know, business wise, it's, you know, wealthiest countries in the world. There's a lot of amazing stuff uh, business-wise going on over here. So I'll, I'll definitely try to uh, keep in contact with all the, the people that I know. And um, if, you know, if there's ever an opportunity, you know, I'll probably take advantage of it. But, um, you know, it's it's been really good so far. Um, the, the hardest thing for you is you have a young family back in Salt Lake City. Um, so that's a, that's certainly a, a sacrifice you, you, got, you and your wife are making. 
I get the feeling you're talking, you're talking every day, you're zooming, you're FaceTime. How, do, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a FaceTime. I mean, it's the hardest thing about playing professional basketball overseas. I mean, I left, uh, you know, I left mid September, um, at this point and I haven't, I haven't seen my family since, um, you know, so I mean, it's been well over six months now where I haven't seen my two little kids. I got a four-year-old daughter and a, and a two-year-old, uh, about to be two-year-old son, um, and my wife and my dog. And, uh, you know, I mean, to not see him for over six months straight is, is really, really difficult. I mean, it, it's for me, family's everything. So, I mean, it's, it's not fun. You know what I mean? I do not enjoy that part of it. Obviously I, I love playing basketball. It's competitive. Um, you know, I, I like to, to, to be able to, to succeed and do well, um, and be able to provide for my family the best way that I can. And, uh, but in order to do that, you know, these guys all overseas are really sacrificing a lot to be able to do that. And I know it's taken a lot of uh, mental toll on a lot of guys, especially this season. We've been in a bubble the whole season. Um, you know, we, I've been sitting in this hotel room for like six months, you know, eating the same food every day. Um, that's not very great. You know what I mean? And, and uh, there's nothing to do. You know, you can't leave the bubble. So, I mean, you're in the hotel the whole time. So, I mean, it's, it's way different than people think. Um, it's not glamorous. You know, you're literally out here to make a living and to compete. And that's the only reason why guys do it. And um, because if there wasn't that type of reward at the end, you know, to be away from the family, it's just not worth it for me. Um, so um, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. It's been an interesting experience, something that I've never experienced before. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful to be able to play basketball and have a job during these times because I know there's a lot of people that don't. And uh, so, I, you know, you count your blessings and, uh, you know, for a reason, but I can't wait to get back and see my kids and family again. Yeah, no question, man. I, I, I feel for you. I do. You'll be and I guess you'll be home soon, right? It's, it's just yeah. a matter of weeks now. So, yeah, it's a matter of weeks now. Are you going to be uh, I think the family's in Utah. Is that where you'll end up residing? I'm I'm actually, uh, we actually live in Denver, Colorado. Okay. okay. Um, my wife, right. my wife, um, is from that area. She's from Littleton, Colorado. So we bought a place there about nine years, nine years ago. And we've been there ever since. And I absolutely love it. We won't ever leave. Um, you know, this is, this is where we'll reside. I obviously go to, to Utah a lot, um, during the summer to see family or see family and friends and go back to BYU a couple of times. But, uh, yeah, we live, we live in Denver and, uh, we love it. Well, listen, we're going to have to get together because I now have a home in Colorado Springs. I am, oh, it's beautiful. I am, yeah, we, we're going to transition up there full time from Dallas, but uh, there's no yeah. place better in the summertime than, than, than oh, Denver. The weather is spectacular. Yeah, the weather is spectacular. I mean, for me, I love I love all four seasons. Um, I love, you know, I love the winter months, too. It just actually just actually snowed about two feet in Denver. <laughs> it's pretty crazy how that happens, but it'll all melt by, you know, it'll all be melted by Tuesday because it's bright and sunny and beautiful today. And that's what I love about it. It always, uh, it's always sunny. And yeah, so I enjoy the weather. My wife's in Colorado Springs right now. And she told me about the snowstorm. So uh, yeah. I can't wait to get up there. We'll have to have lunch this summer. I'll drive. Yeah, up for sure. Listen, you got to get going. We can't thank you enough. People are going to be absolutely thrilled that we got a chance to catch up with you. You are, uh, you know, you're one of the, honestly, I'm not just saying it's first of all, you're good. As I've got to know you, you're a great human being. Uh, and, and you are one of the iconic basketball players in college basketball, if not in the entire history of the game, certainly in the last 25 years, you, the stuff you did 
you, you were magnificent. And uh, we can't wait to keep up with you and see how your career ends and see how you transition into uh, into the next phase. But I know you're not going to be away from basketball. I can't imagine that. So uh, we'll figure <laughs> yeah. that. Maybe, maybe ESPN. We'll have to. We'll have to work. Yeah, on. there you go. Yeah, for sure. You pull some strings. So no, I appreciate it, fan. Uh, it's been it's been great. Um, good talking with you. I appreciate all you do and uh, have fun at the tourney. I'm sure you're going to enjoy that. It's going to be a really fun time. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't think anybody does. So, <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, it's great. Hey, Jim, all the best. Get healthy and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Fran. We'll talk to you soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation that we've had with Jimmer for debt. Uh, really one of the great college basketball players of the last two decades, without a doubt. Uh, once again, if you, uh, if you like what we're doing, go ahead and rate and subscribe the pop podcast on Apple podcasts. Remember we're part of the serious XM podcast network. You can go back and listen to the, uh, first 43 episodes that we've already recorded. And if you don't have the serious XM podcast, uh, app download it. Uh, on your phone now, and uh, you'll 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 be very entertained. I promise you. Well, so long to Jimmer Ferdette from halfway around the world in Shanghai, and remember, next week I will bring you to another place in my world of basketball. Serious XM podcasts.